RadioInfluence.com. Daniel, last week on the podcast, we're doing the show on a Thursday. Typically, we do a show on Wednesday like we're doing it today. And little did we know, all hell was going to break loose in Las Vegas last week. Like, And you think about some of the craziest fight week things we have seen. UFC 279 is up there, man. Yeah, it was very close to being one of the few times in this promotion's history that a pay-per-view got canceled. I mean, the second that I saw Kamzat Shemaev was overweight by eight-plus pounds, I knew for a fact Nate Diaz was not going to take that fight because he was already bending over backwards, letting the UFC have this fight. He just wanted to get out of his deal. But he sure as hell was not going to fight a 10-pound overweight Shemaev. So I just thought, this pay-per-view is done. It just – it has to be. I don't know how you – I don't know who is in Vegas to to step up, and apparently the thought was maybe Dustin Poirier could have been that fighter, even though he wasn't going to be able to do the weigh-in. That was according to the ESPN article that Brad Okamoto put out. But, Jason, I just thought we were heading towards a Saturday without a pay-per-view because this card, to me, did not have the depth to overcome one of these guys pulling out. But it was a game of musical chairs, wasn't it? Yeah, man, we had four fighters essentially miss weight. You have Chris Barnett misses weight for the heavyweight limit. I think it's only the second time that's happened in UFC history. You have Akeem Dawadu miss weight by three and a half pounds. Uh, Julian Arosa, who, by the way, will be on the next episode of the podcast on Sunday. I do promise. Sorry to get a podcast out this past Sunday. Some kind of crazy things happened in my world, so I couldn't get a show out there. We'll have a show on Sunday. Julian Arosa is going to be on there. This guy just keeps benefiting from fighters missing weight and taking that fine go out there and get in the w then we have we learned that macy chieson versus arena aldania is now going to be a 140 140 pound matchup when macy chieson steps on the scale of 140 arena aldania steps on the scale of 137 i think we kind of realized what side won the 140 pounds there and then of course everything that happens with with hamzat chamayev but you know last week on the show we sat here and said the main event should be Tony Ferguson versus Nate Diaz. So I think at the end of the day, as combat sports fans, and more particularly Nate Diaz, it all worked out the best. Look, I think you put the vibes out into the universe, and the universe will reward you. Hopefully, the universe will reward our man Leech down the line, because if there's any guy amongst the six men that deserves praise, it's Leech. He went from fighting Tony Ferguson who, according to his manager, is a big-time superstar in China. Apparently, this was a really big fight for Leach. Apparently, Ferguson has really resonated with the Chinese audience. So Leach goes from taking on a former interim UFC champion to taking on Daniel Rodriguez, the least sexy of the six, and also he gives up 10 pounds. So hopefully, the MMA gods will smile bright on Mr. Leach. But on this past Saturday, the MMA gods smiled brightly on Nate Diaz, all the stuff Nate Diaz has given us as fans, has sacrificed, has given to the UFC. He was set up to get his ass kicked and embarrassed in the main event of a UFC pay-per-view with, you know, out the door. The MMA gods, they smiled and they blessed him with a winnable fight. And they allowed him to go out on his own terms, flexing. And you told me the, the amount of time left. How amazing is that? I know, just absolutely crap. I didn't realize it watching the fight live. 
saw it on on the internet the next day i was like oh that is just so nate diaz like to me one of the like takeaways for me in terms of of what happened last weekend or even all week was like typically when a fighter's on the last fight of their deal and it's very publicized that they're done they're moving on you necessarily don't hear Dana White being all complimentary. Nate Diaz being complimentary to the UFC, like it was a very weird thing. And, you know, and then you, the, the post-fight interview, you hear what Nate Diaz says there. And, you know, there is, and when you hear Dana White talk about Nate Diaz, you almost kind of sense that Dana White hasn't closed that door. Potentially, Nate Diaz returning to the UFC. Obviously, I watched the coverage. You had nothing but nice things to say about Nate Diaz on his way out the door. What do you do from here? Do you ever contact him and see what his plans are? Do you just sit around and wait and see what he decides? Do you, do you talk to him at all? Yeah, I mean, leading up to, to um, this fight, you know, long before the fight was made, he came into the office and we talked. And I said, listen, man, we love you. Whatever you want to do. You've been here forever. You put on great fights for us. You know, it's been fun. Whatever you want to do. I mean, the kid's 38 now. You know, it's whatever he wants to do now in the twilight of his career. uh, I wish him nothing but the best. But like if he's still a free agent, hasn't done anything, would you ever think like, oh, we got this idea. Let's reach out to Nate and see if he's down. Or do you like wait for him to come to you and say, I'd, I'd like to come well, back? Well, he, he, he let us know what he wants to do. He, he doesn't want to re-sign and he wants to get out there and do whatever it is he wants to do. You know, I've heard rumblings of uh, starting his own promotion and doing stuff like that. So, um, you know, the, 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 we're not talking about a 27-year-old guy here that's, you know, whatever. Nate, Nate's seen it all, done it all. Nate's made a lot of money. He's done very well for himself, and, um, you know, I've always had a good relationship with the kid, you know. And kind of interesting to hear Dana White, how he commented about that situation there, Daniel. I mean, very complimentary. It, it almost seems like Dana and probably Hunter Campbell are thinking, what is the package that we could potentially put in there? But I just, you know, and, and obviously the news of Nate Diaz starting his own promotion came out about, uh, I guess, about 10 days ago or so. I just kind of feel like, why do I get the sense at some point in 2023, we see Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor and it's in a boxing ring, not an MMA cage. Well, you know, I was thinking you were setting up Conor versus Nate in the octagon, but in the, in the boxing ring, I, I do think that's really interesting in that for Nate Diaz, it's pretty obvious what's next. Jake Paul, to be frank, Win or lose against Anderson Silva, the Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz fight still will print money. Okay, that is definitely what is next for Nate Diaz. But moving forward, who are those guys someone would pay money to watch on pay-per-view box Nate Diaz? To me, it's not a long list. Connor would be that name. My question is, what would the contract situation you think be like? Would Nate have to negotiate with the UFC to get something like that done? As long as Connor's under contract, I know I did see um, John Nash post the other day that Connor's deal is up at some point in 2023. I want to say he's sometime in the fall of 2023 because of the time range on that one. And I mean, look, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, look, I think the reality is Nate Diaz, if you were going to make a bet on what his next fight is, I would guess it's Jake Paul. 
that would be, I think, the the easy bet. Uh, you know, I don't know what, what's really kind of the situation with Logan Paul with, with his deal with the WWE. Does that kind of prohibit him from, you know, taking any boxing fights? Maybe WWE would perfectly be fine with, with him taking a boxing fight. But to me, it was just, it's interesting how Dana White has really talked about this. And it, it does make you wonder, what if Nate Diaz was 28 years old, not 38 years old? Would, would maybe that narrative be a little different there? But, I mean, look, like the thing that, that surprised me the most about the fight is Tony you're winning this fight on the feet why are you going to the ground yeah you know that was coming from his corner and that was a bad advice I mean the leg kicks were working I mean obviously there was blood coming but to me it was a peculiar strategy it was coming from his corner to to shoot that tight down and it was just a bad idea I think if there's one aspect of this fight game where you can look at these two fighters and say, Nate is so much better than Tony and this, it's the grappling, right? Even off of his back, you feel better about Nate versus Tony on the ground, and it showed it didn't last that long for him to lock on that guilty show. So that's the thing about Tony Ferguson is when I've seen this fight in his last fight, there are things you can take away and, and feel good about him as a fighter and about what he can do. At welterweight, uh, but at the end of the day, this is now five straight losses for Tony Ferguson, and he's not a spring chicken when it comes to age. You know, the difference between him and Nate is, you know, Nate definitely has more tread on his tires. He's been fighting since he came out on diapers, but for Tony Ferguson, he is in a must-win situation moving forward because I don't know how the UFC can go about promoting him. If he's lost six in a row, he has to win his next fight. And the UFC, if they want to continue to be in the Al Kukui business, has to put him in a fight where he can actually win. There's a name I heard someone bring up with Tony Ferguson, and I really like this idea. Jim Miller. Oh, that's a great fight. Yeah, sign me up. Sign me up. I mean, Jim might try and wrestle him. But sign me up. I mean, to me, Tony is in the veteran division, right? If he gets a few wins in a row. Match him up with freaking Steven Wonderboy Thompson if he gets a win or two in a row. Because to me, Wonderboy is kind of at the top of the veteran past their prime, but still talented division that I, w- I would say, you know, that is there in Walter Waite. The other fight, honestly, I'm almost like, uh, let's do Leach a favor and let's rebook that fight. You know, although to be frank, that's that's a tough fight for Tony Ferguson. <laughs> I like Leach to win that one. But it's almost like, you know, Leach to me out of anyone deserves a favor thrown his way for for taking the Daniel Rodriguez fight. Oh, no question about it. But, you know, obviously this card, the good thing about the changes, it didn't end up being a sad night because I feel like if the main event would have stayed Hamzat versus uh, Nate, it would have been a sad night. But Hamzat, everything that goes into it, a lot of interesting things have been said over the past couple of days about Hamzat Chemaev. But first, I want to let you hear from Dana White as he talked about Hamzat last night, uh, getting a question from John Morgan there at the Dana White Contender Series post-fight press conference. And after all the dust has settled, was it a good week for Hamzat Shemaev or a bad week for Hamzat Shemaev, right? I mean, he's involved in an altercation. He misses weight. Then he comes in and looks incredible. Like, how do you think of Hamzat after last week? It was a nutty week. I mean, the whole week was nutty in every way that it could possibly be nutty but yeah I, I wouldn't say by any stretch that it was a bad week for Hamzat Chemaev I mean he came in and and I, I mean you all know 
um, what I think about Kevin Holland and what I, you know, what I think of him as a person and as a fighter. And goddamn, Hamzat made that look easy and very quick. So uh, he's an absolute beast. So if you go over to UFCstats.com, Daniel, and you look at Hamzat Chemaev's record in the UFC, I'm just going to throw numbers at you. One, zero, 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 119, and zero. You know what those are? What's that? Significant strikes landed on Hamzat Shemaev in UFC competition. John Phillips landed one significant strike. Reese McKee, zero. Gerald Burchard, zero. Lee Jialing, zero. Gilbert Burns, 119. Kevin Holland, zero. When I think about Hamzat Shemaev, he may be one of the most fascinating fighters that we currently have in the UFC at this point. When you look at what he has done in terms of no one being able to land offense on him, he went out there and he was absolutely once again dominant. You could talk about Kevin Holland attempting to uh, touch gloves. That does not happen there. Goes out there and, I mean, it's just a straight-up dominant performance. But taking in some content over the past couple of days, the most interesting piece of content to me came from the Anakin Florian podcast about Hamzat Chemaev, and it came from Dean Thomas. Coach, and you've been around the game for a long time, both as a fighter, as a coach. What would you tell Hamzat to do? Do you keep him at 170 pounds? Obviously, a, a ton of big money fights there. Or do you say, hey, let's let's scrap that. Let's push it 185 pounds uh, for your next one and, and, and maybe for the foreseeable future. Well, I would like as his coach, I would have to see where I thought he had the best chances of winning. Because when you deal with a guy like Hamzat, you know, he's a wild card. And he's undisciplined in every aspect of the game. So it's probably not just weight cutting. And he reminds me of those guys that come into the gym that are like, that are super talented, but they never make it. That's what he reminds me of, but he's, but he's already made it. And I feel as though he's going to self-sabotage himself in some way to where he doesn't become champion because he doesn't have that type of discipline. So if I'm his coach, I try to figure out what the best weight class is for him and just say, all right, this is our best chance of winning a title. Let's see if we can get this done. Just stay focused for six months and let's right. just try to get the title. Right. You know, I think that was a, a great bit of analysis from you. And I love that you've stayed critical throughout your broadcasting career. And I commend you for that. But when you say that he's undisciplined in every phase of the game, I have no choice, but to go back at you a little bit. I can't speak to the nutrition in certain elements, but he's obsessed with martial arts. I mean, he is the hardest worker in the room and that's not coming from just one or two sources. You know, they can't even find bodies in the weight class to train with the guy. So what do you think is the lack of focus? Just the, the championship type focus, like everything that encompasses being a world champion, because as far as the training and the martial arts, um, you know, he's all in. He's all well, that. See, see, now we're talking about different things. I'm not saying he's not passionate. I believe he's really passionate about fighting. I believe he loves to fight. I believe he's, and he's very good at what he loves to do. And that's fighting. I believe he loves beating people up and he's very good at that. But in terms, but he's also a fighter. So I believe that he doesn't want no one telling him what to do. Right. He doesn't want nobody telling him how to live his life. And that's, 
but that's not inconsistent with fighters. A lot of fighters are like that. They're just not as good as Hamzat. So you, it goes, it gets swept under the table. So most fighters are kind of like that. They're just not as good as him. If other fighters could get away with it, they would. But he can get away with it because he is so good. Daniel, the biggest takeaway from that is right kind of towards the beginning of what Dean Thomas said there, where he called Hamzat Shemaev undisciplined in every aspect of the game. Dean Thomas is a former fighter. He's a coach. He is in that UFC inner circle, a part of that broadcast team. That stuck out to me majorly. Yeah, but I I love how he, you know, Anik pushed back on him, right? Because it, it, it's crazy to say that when the guy's 12-0 and he has a win over Gilbert Burns. And you don't get that good being undisciplined. But then Dean clarified on what he meant. And it's everything that kind of goes around that passion for martial arts. It what leads to him missing weight, which is the lack of discipline in the lead up to fight week. The weight cut, I believe, was 12 pounds. It was too big of a weight cut for him. His body was unsafe. Right. Uh, reading the ESPN article that Brett Akamoto put out, uh, his trainer had guys watching him and he was looking ill. It was a medical professional, I believe, was brought in and it was unsafe for him to continue his weight cut. Had he done the discipline in the lead up, he would not have been that sick, I don't believe. Uh, one of the excuses I've heard as to why Shemaya missed weight is because this fight was set up on such short notice. Maybe a full fight camp, there isn't a problem. He makes 171, we have a fight. Moral of the story, moving forward, I strongly believe Hamzat Chemaev needs to spend the rest of his career at 185 pounds. His body is telling him that's where he needs to be. When you look at the quotes from his trainer, he says, we might have one or two more fights, get the championship at welterweight, but ultimately fight at middleweight. Our next fight will be at middleweight, yada, yada, yada. If that's where you know you're going to be, get there now. Don't do the damage to your body to cut down to 170 because you think you have a good matchup against whomever. Do the thing that's safer for your body and safer for Dana White and the UFC when they put you on pay-per-view and expect you to show up and make weight. Hamza Chimaev might be the best fighter in the world. I don't think so. I watch his Gilbert Burns fight. I'm enthralled. I don't think he's the best fighter in the world. But the man's undefeated. He looked like an absolute cyborg and machine against Kevin Holland. He just was unbelievable. He pitched a perfect game. Next fight should be a middleweight. Next fight should be against a top five middleweight. Hell, I want to see Chimaev and I want to see Robert Whitaker in a fight. That's what I want to see. Because to me, Chemayev is one fight away from fighting from a UFC championship. But I want to see him against a top five guy. I don't want to see him against Nate Diaz. I don't want to see him against Kevin Holland. I want to see him against the best in the world to show if he actually has that skill. Well, he wants to train with Robert Whitaker, so I don't think that's necessarily going to be the place. Well, I mean, that's true. That's true. I didn't see those quotes, but bro, are you trying to be the UFC champion or what? You know? <laughs> no, bro. Come on. He's going 85. The fight to make is Paulo Costa. There is already heat between these two guys. That's a fight that, I don't know, you're going to Rio in January. That would be an excellent co-main event. Look, you're right. You're right, dude. That's the fight to make. And honestly, if you fight at 185, that's the fight that's probably going to happen. You know, when I suggest the Robert Whitaker fight, that's from my own selfish point of view. <laughs> because I want to see Chemayev against the best fighters in the world. 
And at 185 pounds, the guy who isn't the champion that's the best fighter is Robert Whitaker, and then there's a big gap, and then there's anyone else. If it's not Whitaker, it's probably uh, Cannoneer. Either him or, hell, who knows, maybe Alex Pereira is the underground middleweight champion. But to me, it's Robert Whitaker is the uh, the number one guy who doesn't have a middleweight championship around his waist. Because with Chimaev, like, dude, I'm just foaming at the mouth. I want to see this guy take on championship-level fighters, right? Like, like that's just what I want to see. He looks amazing. And I'm tired of spending uh, $75, $90 on a pay-per-view and watching him squash a dude. Kevin Holland's a damn good fighter. He's a damn good fighter. Every single time Chimaev steps in that cage until he loses, I want to see him fight an elite guy. That's what I want to spend my money on. To me, the the question, the two questions I have with Hamzat Chimaev is if he wants to continue to fight at 170, can he make it in a healthy way? And I think part of that question is, has he worked with the PI at all when he is in Las Vegas? Now, one of the headlines I saw getting ready for the pod today was a headline over on bloodyelbow.com that was Habib criticizes Chamaya's failed weight cut at UFC 279. There are no Muslims around him. And this is uh, the quote. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm guessing maybe this came from Instagram or Twitter where they pulled this quote from. And it says, if you are a Muslim, you should have good people around you. Muslims who can say, hey, don't do this. I recently watched the weigh-in of Hamza Chemaev. I followed what was happening with his weight and looked at his team. There are no Muslims around him, and this is very bad because if you are a Muslim, you need good, strong people around you. They will say, come back, do this. When you become famous and rich, when you gain power and around you, there are no people who will give advice or you do not listen to them then something will happen. You need good people. Even if you don't like them, you need them. Now, of course, everyone starts reacting to this in terms of Hamza not being able to make weight, the weight issues that Habib had at one time. And I saw this tweet from Phil Rowe, the UFC fighter. And he tweeted, he goes, many are missing Habib's point when he says Hamzat should hang around more Muslims. He's talking about Hamzat's actions, cursing, flicking people off, zero accountability. He's advising him when you're famous, have faithful Muslims around you for sound advice, not yes men. My counter to that would be is, how many athletes don't have yes men around them? I was going to say, as you were bringing that up, I was going to, uh, first I was going to say, dude, how many UFC fighters don't have yes men around them? And I was like, wait, how many professional, how many collegiate athletes? So how many high school quarterbacks don't have yes men around them? I would have been a yes man to the high school quarterback in my high school if he wanted to be my friend, because that meant I probably would have been popular, but I had to eat lunch in the restroom, Jason. You know, athletes are surrounded by yes men. Entertainers are. Well, can you reread me the headline of that article again? What was the headline? Habib criticizes Chamaya's failed weight cut UFC 279. There are no Muslims around him. Dude, that's look. Habib basically said that, but that's just that's doing Habib dirty. That headline, right? That headline is provocative. <laughs> it, it's a talker. I mean, really, what Habib said? Come on, bro. You know how <laughs> you know how this this. Like, yeah. Draymond Green calls it. What's it? I think he calls it the new media. 
This is what media is today, is what is that catchy headline that is going to get people talking about it? Now, if I was interviewing Habib, which I know would never get the opportunity because I know his manager's not going to offer that one up. My counterpoint to Habib would be is, so you have no yes men in your inner circle? Yeah, and I'm sure he would say he doesn't. Or he would say, I do have some yes men, but... My point is you need to have a good person in your inner circle too to go along with the yes man. And the thing is I bet Chemayev has good people in his inner circle, okay? Like, dude, when I listen to his trainer talk, his trainer has been very, very uh, – what's the word? Very just like forthcoming. Yeah. And he has held Chemayev accountable. I, I would say his trainer has impressed me, and he's the right person to have in his corner, to be completely honest with you. I feel like if Habib had the same issue, we probably wouldn't have had the same level of accountability coming out of his fight camp that we have out of Chamaya's fight camp. Chamaya's inner circle has expressed that they are embarrassed about what happens. <sighs> So I don't know what the hell Nirmaga Madoff's talking about when it comes to that. Roe did color in the lines and say it's not only missing weight, but it's also the profanity and et cetera. But regardless, uh, that was the, you know, it, it, yeah, to me, that only registers so much for me. I do understand the sentiment about having yes men around you, but that's just the fight game, buddy. You keep on winning, you're going to get yes men, right? Like there's a, there's somebody sliding into the DMs of Daniel Rodriguez Sunday morning because he got the big W, the biggest win of his career over Leach. And, uh, you know, the more you win, the more yes-men you got in your corner. I can only imagine as an athlete how many people are sliding into your DMs and are like, hey, man, I do this. I can really help you out. Hey, man, I'm an expert in travel. I can get you all the – like, I can only imagine how many people are trying to find themselves – in that athlete's inner circle just to kind of get there. I mean, I mean, look, with, with Hamzat, it, it's one of these things of, I, I think he should probably go to 85 most likely because when a doctor says you can't go cut any more weight, you're in a bad place. You're not in a good place at that point. Yes, sir, you are. And, and, and again, it doesn't get easier with age. It doesn't. It just continues to get worse, except for apparently if you're Misha Tate, you can just cut down to fly weight late in your career. Or if you're Frankie Edgar, you can cut down to freaking Bantam weight. Or hell, if you're Aldo, you know, you can, you can cut down, right? But more often than not, as you get older, it appears as though it's harder to uh, to, to make that weight. And I, I agree with you. The, the, only, the only concession I'll make is that this was a different type of weight cut than he normally would do with the full fight camp. And I don't believe his next fight will be taken on such short notice. I think there was some pressure to make this fight happen. Um, but yeah, so moral of the story, Jemaya looks really good. I feel like I didn't learn anything more about him. To me, the fight against Gilbert Burns told us a lot more. Um, I know reading that ESPN article, it was mentioned that Kevin Holland was the one who advocated for the five rounds. He wouldn't sign the fight unless it was five rounds. And Jemaya, I'm sure, thought, Eh, screw it. I'll probably beat him in two minutes. So, I mean, yeah. But I think moving forward, I think if he does fight at welterweight, I think we both know what the obvious matchup is. I mean, it, it's right there in front of you, and there's no other fight to make. Okay, yeah. And for those who are not aware of the fight we're talking about, it's Hamza versus Colby Covington. It's clearly the fight to make. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, either that or, um, honestly, I was just thinking about it. Um, 
The other fight at welterweight that maybe you could make is Hamza versus Poye. You know, or or who knows? Maybe you just do Chimaev and Conor McGregor. I think you, if you're going to test Hamzat Chimaev, it's about putting someone who can test the grappling side of it. And I just don't think Dustin Boyer would bring that challenge. Colby Covington would clearly bring that challenge. But like one of the things that is kind of interesting to bring up is if we go back 30 days ago, the narrative is the UFC is setting up Kamar Usman versus Hamjat Chemaev. 30 days later, Kamar Usman is not the UFC welterweight champion because he got KO'd by Leon Edwards. Hamzat Chemaev misses weight by eight pounds, so he doesn't even get the Nate Diaz fight. It's just crazy how this the MMA narrative can quickly change. Yeah, yeah, it is crazy how things change, man. And, and who God only knows how different it's going to be 30 days from now, right? The only thing that stays the same is Dana White and Conor McGregor getting headlines every week. Like, that's about it. Though, though it's the only thing that stays the same. Dana White, Conor McGregor, and Jake Paul will get headlines for something they said or did. That's about it. That's the only thing that stays the same, my man. Ben Folks had a great piece about a week or two ago on his Substack, which it was talking about what MMA media essentially is in 2022. It's like Conor McGregor posts something on Instagram. Hey, let's screenshot that. Let's create a cool graphic. Hey, Conor McGregor says dot, dot, dot. Do you think the as a fan of combat sports, do you believe it is a better time to be a fan of like in taking in the media content today than it was eight years ago? No. Eight years ago was better? Yeah. I agree with you. To I, me, I there just, was more I substance. Eight years ago, we got more original stories. Right now, it's about what has... I, I can't tell you how often that I go on my Facebook timeline, my Instagram timeline, and it's just people repurposing a fighter's Instagram post. Yeah. I think the problem is really simple. There are not a lot of places that are paying for MMA writers. Like the only place that is paying for an MMA writer is the people who own the, like the, who, excuse me, who are in business with the UFC and the rest of the people who have made a living doing this, they freak. There's not that many. And most of them are just doing, um, podcasts or videos you know they're not necessarily doing the right and honestly that's not just mma that's all sports that's all medium is tv radio podcasts etc but i agree with you i feel like there was a lot more thought-provoking content but i think it's largely because a lot of those sp nation websites just they used to be a lot better and i just think maybe a lot of those guys that grew that grew up on those just kind of had to grow up and get real jobs or something I will tell you, I, I, find, I find myself getting MMA news on the MMA Reddit channel. You know, I do look at Reddit a lot, not just for MMA, but for most things. And, and yeah, I agree with you. I, I do that. I still go on the SB Nation website. They still have a soft spot in my heart. Um, but and to me, MMA fighting has always been kind of pretty much the same. Website, Bloody Elbow, to me, is the one that to me was a lot better eight years ago. But I, I still check it out. But I agree with you. I, I do check the MA Reddit. I think Reddit's good. I will say Reddit is really, I don't know. I feel like Reddit makes me like, it's a very divisive place, as is most places on the internet. Like, I'm trying to limit the amount of stuff I see that's divisive because I feel like it's not good for you. But like Reddit and Twitter, man, they're just cesspools. Like, people are just always pissed off, like all the time. 
Oh, like Brandon Schaub going after Dana White today? Yeah, what did he say? What did he say? So last night during the post-fight press conference, Dana is someone bring, they start talking about the conspiracy theories that people were putting out there that this was the UFC's plan all along, which is uh, when I see stuff like this, I'm like, do you people really believe this or are you doing this to get clicks? So I, and so I guess someone brings up that said Pat Militant said something along those lines. And then, then someone there goes, no, it was Brent Schaub. And Dana's response was, yeah, not surprised it would come from him. And then of course, Brent class back on Instagram, which is kind of interesting because Brent Schaub has publicly talked about how he doesn't run his own social media, that he basically just tells somebody to post it, which is, you know, it is what it is. But I'm just like, when I heard those conspiracy theories, I'm like, these people have not, to just be saying that for clicks. Yeah. What the hell is he the Pope? He just, by the way, that just completely brought brings me something. You think uh, Dana White ever called um just going back to what he said about Nate Diaz. You think he ever called Randy Couture a kid? You know, like like that's hilarious. He's like, yeah, that thirty eight year that that thirty eight year old kid. I'm like, doesn't that make you feel good, Jason? <laughs> He's calling Nate Diaz a freaking kid. Oh. I mean, Dana is in his fifties, bro. <laughs> dude, but he's been, dude, Dana White called his mom his dad kid when he was twelve years old, <laughs> boxing with Muhammad Ali or doing whatever the hell he he's doing. You know, uh, yeah, but yeah, all, all this outrage, but gosh. Uh, what uh oh dude, wh- where did you watch the UFC show? I watched it at an establishment in Dallas. <laughs> uh, I forgot you were in Dallas. Dang, that was uh that was a great game for you. I, but uh, I, by the way, speaking of Dallas, the pregame spread inside uh, AT and T Stadium in the press area, very good. You wouldn't. I'm going to tell you what the main entree I had was, and you're not going to believe. You're not going to say that's Texas. Is it a is it a lobster roll? Yeah, it was a shrimp and lobster oh, roll. I knew, I knew. I was just thinking, if I went into a press box, what would I get? And I'm like, bro, I would look for a lobster roll. <laughs> and now, did they did they have other like did they have other stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, heading into the game, so I get this info sheet for you know for you know our booth and, and everything along those lines. And in the notes, it talks about you know where the press dining is, and it's like the mac and cheese is delicious. So if you tell me, and this is the first time I've ever seen in my notes from the 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 person who does my job in Dallas that the food has been put in there. So I'm like, okay, I gotta try this mac and cheese. And as I'm going through the line, they put a fresh thing of mac and cheese in. Damn good. Damn good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty hard to mess up mac and cheese. It's always absolutely you, glorious. But uh, you, the craziest thing to me about Cowboy Stadium, and we've now gone there a couple times, is when they open those gates and you see the mass of people who have those standing room only tickets that are running to get to the best standing spot. It is, it's, it's unbelievable. You, it, it makes, it makes it feel like you're at a college game and, and the student section is, is running in to get the best seats. Dude, because those, those tickets are cheap, bro. I mean, that's a, that's a good deal to, if you get a good view, but then once you get there, I mean, assuming you just got to stay there or maybe you get your family to hold your spot, but how much, it's like $10, right? I have no idea. It, 
Dude, it's really like it's really cheap to get those seats up, I believe. So, I mean, yeah, it's like uh, it's like Black Friday every Sunday. But uh, I have a feeling next week there'll probably be less of a rush to check out the Cowboys game. Uh, so, sorry, all my Cowboys fans. Well, I don't know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, it was it was the rare week where myself oh. as a Texans fan could could brag to my Cowboys friends. By by the way, so. We get back in Tampa. We land a little after 4, 4 a.m. Monday morning. And I learned something driving home. Did What's you that? know Amazon's out delivering packages at 4.30 in the morning? To who? who dude, I'm, I'm driving home, and this dude is out delivering packages. Dude, like, I remember would... I've seen that option, like the overnight option. will say, uh, oh, because between 4 and 8, I'm like, okay, there's no way they're getting delivering packages at 4 a.m. Yep. Found that out driving home at 4 o'clock in the morning. Damn, well, hey, speaking of Amazon, buddy, get that Amazon Prime Fire, and you're going to need it Thursday night. And the Chiefs and Chargers, most people probably listen to this, Thursday, this tonight, Thursday night. We'll get a whole new ball game. Al Michaels, Kirk Herbstreet. Yeah, I know. I will definitely be watching uh, on Thursday. I'll be, be here in the home office editing some video, but I'll, I'll definitely be checking that out. Uh, you mentioned about Johnny Walker kind of getting back to 279, man. Goes out there, gets gets the win against Ian Kutalaba, uh, Ju- Julian Arosa going out there, getting a decision. When you talk, like, Julian Arosa, like, how many times has this guy been written off in his career? And he's come back. He's now 5-1 and one since coming back to the UFC. Uh, Jolton Almeida may be the most interesting prospect the UFC has right now, you know, from 185 and up. Uh, he's going to be a 205-pound fighter. But, God, that is a guy that I'm really interested to see how he develops. Oh, dude, he looks super good. And and, uh, and he, he, to me, was a big-time noteworthy guy. I, I feel like Johnny Walker... We talked about how he said he was changing the lack of he was taking CBD out of his life. And that's what caused him to get in his rut, essentially. And I kind of joked about it. But damn, Jason, I think you might need to start taking CBD out of your life if Johnny Walker's out here performing no. like that against Kudalama. No, yeah. yeah. Oh, look, bro, at it. bro, do you ever have back pain? Not yet, but give it time. Okay. Any of our listeners that have back pain, they know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like it is by far. I literally put some CBD cream on, on my back this morning. It was it was a little stiff, you know. Uh, yeah, no, no, CBD is is uh it's it's part of the lifestyle. Yeah, man, I'm sure your body shuts down like Macy Chase's body shut down from that up kick. I mean, that was something I have not seen before. Adanya off her back with that up kick to the to the liver, essentially just completely shutting down Chase on. Beautiful, um, uh, beautiful, beautiful finish. Never seen it before. Thought it was great. Aldana stand up looked good. What worries me about her is she was losing that fight. I felt like uh, after losing round two, and, and the wrestling and chase on was having some success. But you know, Aldana stand up is really good. And then for me, the last point I would bring up: Barnett and Jake Collier was the fight of the night. I know why I didn't get the bonus because Barnett missed weight. But Jesus, that fight was the best fight I saw all night. Here's my thought on Chris Bar- Chris Barnett. He needs to be the next Modella fighting spirit commercial. Come on. He looks like the average dude. He's walking out of the cage, drinking two beers. Come on, Modelo. Can we get our guy Chris Barnett a little sponsorship deal? Dude, I love it. Chris Barnett is just... He's a beautiful soul. He just is. I mean, you love the post-fight interview. He's one of those few guys that misses weight at heavyweight, and you still don't get all pissed off at him. 
how could you get pissed off at Chris Barnett? You know, he's the type of guy that can sweet talk his way to getting a bonus, even though he missed weight. And uh, I think he probably got a little cheddar in his paycheck this uh, this past weekend, dude. That was uh, dude, that was an awesome fight, dude. Shout out to Collier too, bro. He performed well as well, and and I just uh, I love that fight. Uh, to me, that's a fight that's. Uh, I mean, it was the highlight of the weekend for me, that fight. You know, when you were the third fight on a UFC pay-per-view prelim card and you end up on Air Hawani show on a Monday afternoon, you're doing something right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of those things where he he has a good eye for who he needs to be on his show. Like, it's almost like he's watching the post-fight interview and he's like, all right, you're on, you're on, you're on. And it's just like the post-fight interview is like an audition to get on the MMA hour when you're not on the main card. Yeah, no question about it. Now, we're going to debut a new segment here that's simply called Agree or Disagree. And these come from articles I found on the MMA Reddit channel. By the way, speaking of MMA Reddit, I just want to say kudos to the Reddit user Pride Rules MMA for uh, putting up my interview with Georgie Karahanyan up on the MMA Reddit, uh, which the headline was Benefits of the Carnivore Diet and Lightweight Being His New Home. And all the comments were related to the carnivore diet. Uh, Some of the comments were this. I like meat as much as the next guy, but I can't imagine eating only meat for every meal of the day. (laughs) The next comment was, I can't imagine the poops. Uh, you know, so these comments were just tremendous all about the carnivore diet. Uh, cause part of that conversation was there was a, a Instagram post that Georgie had put up where he was going to eat two pounds of steak. Now, when I'm cooking a steak, dang, I know, I know, you know, when you're cooking a steak at home, I know how, how big you like your steaks. I'm about a pound and a quarter type guy. I can't imagine eating two pounds of steak in one sitting. No, no, I love steak. And it's one of those things where maybe the first five bites, I can imagine it. But as I start to finish that big piece of T-bone steak, I'm like, all right, I've got the meat sweats. And uh, for a guy who fights at that weight class to be eating two, I mean, he weighs a whole lot less than both me and you. And for him to take two pounds of meat, I mean, look, I get size of my steak. So maybe if I cut out the sides, I would be able to do it. I do have a pretty damn big appetite. But, uh, yeah, that's an interesting interview that's worth a check out on YouTube. Georgie Carr Kanyan with Jason Floyd on the MA Report YouTube channel. Now, so this agree or disagree segment, I, we have three articles. Now, by the way, you know, you watch a debate show on ESPN. You know one side is going to take one side. The other person going to take the other side. Me and Daniel have not discussed what side yeah. we are on these articles. So we may agree on all three. We may disagree. Who knows? We're going to find out. So headline number one. Daniel Cormier, Tony Ferguson is done. He's a shell of himself, but doesn't have self-awareness. So Cormier said these quotes on his show on the ESPN YouTube channel, DCNRC. He says, quote, Nate Diaz still has a little bit left in the tank if he wants to fight. But it also tells me that Tony Ferguson is done. As a guy that I've seen in the octagon, Tony Tony's done, bro. He's a shell of himself, and he doesn't want to retire, right? He actually said he feels like he got better and saw some good things. I'm like, what did he do in there to show you that he's better than he was prior? 
goes on to say, it wasn't a gradual decline. It's like he got to the edge of the cliff and just fell off. It was just engaging, and that was it. The moment he was done with that interim title fight, he wasn't as good. Now, granted, he lost Manel Darius and Charles Alvaro, so you go, he's fighting the best in the world, but now you got to see him fight Nate Diaz, who's not the best in the world right now. He didn't do great against Nate. He landed a lot of inside leg kicks. But if you fought Nate Diaz in a washed up fight, you know that's how you beat him. That's why Connor, even though got carried out of the octagon in the rematch, was able to win because he kept kicking the front leg of Diaz. Ferguson just, he just doesn't seem to have it anymore, but he does not seem to have the self-awareness to understand it. He just doesn't really want to walk away from the game. And I get it. It's hard to walk away, but he just doesn't have it anymore, man. I honestly don't know who the UFC can match him up with against anymore because if he had fought Lee Jialing, he would have lost. And it would have probably been worse because Lee would have hit him with some big shots early. I just don't know who they can match this guy up with anymore. So, Daniel, let me turn it over to you. Do you agree with or disagree with what Daniel Cormier said there? I disagree with Daniel Cormier. I do, Jason. Look, you watching that fight, you could make a case that Tony Ferguson won each of the first three rounds. I'm not saying he did, but you could make a case. Rounds one and two were close. Round three, I felt pretty good about being a Tony Ferguson round. He was in the fight with Nate Diaz, and I know DC goes on to say that this was a washed-up fight, that Nate still has a little left in the tank, but he also has kind of washed himself. And I'm not saying Tony Ferguson will ever fight for a lightweight championship again, but to say Tony Ferguson is done and that he's a shell of himself is too harsh in my opinion. Tony Ferguson, aside from Nate Diaz in his five-fight win streak, has fought top six lightweights. Literally. His losses, all of them, are to top six lightweights. Gaethje, Oliveira, Dariush, and Chandler. Okay, it's okay to lose to those guys. The Nate fight, bad fight IQ. He threw himself into a damn guillotine choke, and he was looking good with those leg kicks. So, Jason, I don't think Tony Ferguson has five fights left in his career in the UFC, but I also don't think he's done. I would mostly agree with what Daniel Cormier said there. Tony Ferguson did respond to these quotes on Instagram where he said at DC MMA should put the sweets down. Too much sugar will go to your head like old fathead Khabibur. Once a once a hater, always a vagina champ. Where I would agree with what Daniel Cormier said there is, look, the Tony Ferguson that we saw prior to that interim title fight against Justin Gaethje, that fighter we have not seen. Now, the Michael Chandler fight, the first round, he looked good. You mentioned about it here. Had some good rounds, but you're going up against Nate Diaz, who has been a 500 fighter over the past couple years. So for the most part, I agree with what Daniel Cormier has says there. Like is Tony. Now the part like the Tony Ferguson is done. I'm not willing to say that, but I think it's, he's at the end of his career. But to me, the part, what I would agree with what Daniel Cormier said is he is a shell of himself at this point. Well, you know, I, uh, 
I, uh, I guess we're going to agree to disagree. It looks like we disagreed on the first one. Let me give you mine. Michael Bisping, headline, UFC officially has a new supervillain and Hamzat Chemaev after UFC 279. Michael Bisping says, Chemaev needed that kind of performance. He caused the press conference to be canceled. He didn't make weight. The entire card got a shakeup in terms of who they were fighting, and that was all down to Chemaev, right? I wish I could do this in an English accent. I can't, but I go on. And if you go out there and you lose – or you go out there and you have a boring fight or you just scrape by a decision is not the best look, certainly considering what you caused, the hassle, the stress, the expense, all of that. But it doesn't matter. That is eradicated because he went out there and he destroyed Kevin Holland. The UFC officially has a new supervillain. I am talking about Hamzat Chemaev, Boris, the wolf. Come on. When he walked out to that fight, the boos from the crowd were like nothing I've ever heard. I used to get booed a fair bit as well, but that took the biscuit. That was mental. He didn't give a shit, and then he's flipping off the crowd. Then he's talking shit, and he's talking about killing people left, right, and center. Listen, I absolutely love it. It brings a lot of controversy. It brings eyeballs, and it's very, very polarizing. He's a legit bad guy. He's straight out of a Bond movie. I would agree Agreed. with Michael Bisping. Yeah. And, and the reason why. is like, like I, I sit there and say is who is the other super villain in the UFC? I can't really think of one right now. I mean, the one image I have of Hamzat Chemaev last week is on the weigh-in scale. He gets up there and he's smiling when he knows he is nowhere closer to weight. He's as close to making middleweight than he is as making welterweight. So I kind of agree with Michael Bisbee here. And if I'm Hamzat Shemaev, I just roll with this. I say, you know what? Let me be the villain because it's like I use it in my, my sports radio days. Jim Rome at one time was the most popular sports talk show host in America. 50% of the people loved him. 50% of the people hated him. But they all wanted to tune in to see what he said. And if I'm Hamzat Shemaev, I just roll with this. So I would agree with Michael Bisping. Yeah, I would agree too. You know, to answer your question about the villains in the UFC, I would point at three fighters. One, Aljamain Sterling. I would point at four. Aljo, two. Cejudo, three. Uh, three, Paulo Costa. Four, Colby Covington. Now, Colby Covington is also a hero to quite a few people, as is all those guys. But those would be the four, and also John Jones, whenever he gets his butt back in the cage. I'm sure I'm missing somebody, but those would probably be the five people I would point at that would probably be the villains. And who knows, maybe Auden Sainer will be the villain if he has another boring fight against Pereira. But I agree with Bisping. I mean, the crowd was booing him. And it, you know, I think in an American UFC crowd, is pretty problematic when it comes to international fighters. I mean, the damn crowd booed the queen this past Saturday. That was literally insane, and I felt so embarrassed. So I do think Chimaev in America is going to get booed, even in a fight against Colby Covington. You know, if they have that fight in Florida, Covington's probably going to get cheered. But I think if they have it anywhere else, it'll be more boos for Covington. Uh, I think internationally, Chimaev will get cheered. Um, I, I do think that'll be the case. So I think it's probably going to be like a Bret Hart WWF back in the 90s when he was a heel, where he got cheered in Canada and booed in America. I think Chimaev, an American fight card, is going to be the villain, and an international fight card is going to get cheered. Now, our third headline 
is this, and this comes from MMA Junkie Radio. Demetrius Johnson says everybody won when he was traded for Ben Askren. We're all eating good now. And here is what DJ said to MMA Junkie Radio. I think everybody won, not just the organizations, but I think everybody, Ben Askren, Jorge Masvidal, Leon Edwards, Kamaru Usman, myself. When I say that we all won, we're all eating good now. So you look at the UFC standpoint. When I was there, obviously, I wasn't the highest selling pay-per-view guy there, and I was also very dominant, so there was not an opportunity for someone else to be able to make a name for themselves. Then Triple C came in, cringe, did his thing. But then I leave, and you get Ben Askren. The reason why I say Ben Askren got a chance to eat is because Ben Askren always wanted to be able to compete in the UFC. He got that opportunity. He won a couple, then lost. And with his loss was the rise of Jorge Masvidal and the rise of Jorge Masvidal Street Jesus going out there baptizing people. He fought Nate Diaz and got the BMF title, which there had never been a title like that. And he gave Leon Edwards the five-piece chicken meal in the back of the arena that kind of put eyeballs on Leon Edwards. Now you have Kamar Usman, who fought Jorge Masvidal, and Kamar sent Jorge Masvidal to the shadow of the realm. When Kamar Usman fought Masvidal, I think that's where his elevation and his star power went through the roof because everybody was talking about the BMF. Now you have Kamar Usman, who's super big and very, very popular, who's a pound-for-pound best fire in the world, and now you have Leon Edwards, who just knocked him out, and now Leon Edwards is the king of the welterweight division. Everybody got the opportunity to eat and everybody's happy. I think if it goes if it goes to decide who got the best fighters, I think one championship won the ball game by far. Nothing against Ben Askren, but I'm 36. I don't know how old he is, but he's still effing going. They're still getting dividends from your boy there. I'm still putting work in. Agree or disagree with uh, Demetrius Johnson there? Dude, that's an insane... That's like... It sounds like uh, Demetrius Johnson. Um, it sounded like he like took speed. I mean, Jesus, he just like he he went from the uh, the trade to the UFC welterweight championship picture, and he's right. He's right. Um, I agree with the fact that he's more talented than Ben Askren. I think that's true. I agree with the fact that the flyweight division benefited. I mean, it's the, it's so much more interesting now than it was when he was champion, and uh, I will. This is the one thing I disagree with. I agree that he ate, he got paid, but I will disagree in that he has not benefited from being in one FC compared to being in the UFC. I believe if he was still in the UFC from when he got traded, Demetrius Johnson's name value would be much higher than it is now. Not that he would be a superstar. But I do believe Demetrius Johnson would be talked about a lot more often now if he was still in the UFC. But I have a feeling he's the type of guy who doesn't care about things like that. I agree with what DJ says here, and he brings up a ton of great points. He, he kind of talks about, you know, every domino that fall and why it was beneficial. Like, for one championship— to me, it's a it was a win for one championship because if they don't get DJ and they ultimately don't sign Eddie Alvarez, maybe this prime deal doesn't come for them. 
And, and I think this is potentially a game changer for them. And then you look at it from the UFC aspect, you got that viral moment of Ben Askren and Jorge Masol and kind of how the dominoes all fell off with Masol taking on Usman and all that. So I absolutely agree with what DJ said here. It were to me, it worked out for all parties. I think if you said who did it work out better for to me, it worked out better for the UFC. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. So we, we agree. A solid little segment here. I look forward to scouring the internet and, uh, and, and bringing you some good articles. We can see what we agree and disagree on because, you know, it's all about embrace debate. I've always got first take on my TV every morning. You know, I usually don't have the volume up too high in the office, but I do have it on. I'm usually a good morning uh, football guy. I Okay, here's the thing. Uh, I, I share an office with a guy, and he likes first take. Whenever he calls out, I do put on good morning football. I do actually do that. I do love that show. So uh, I, I'm kind of with you. But, you know, he likes first take, so and I, I, I watch it. But good morning football to me is the best show to put on about sports in the morning, no doubt about it. Yeah, it, it's good, especially this time of the year with uh, everything that's going on. Of course, uh, I'll be in New Orleans this weekend looking forward to some charboard oysters on Saturday night. And there'll be at oh, least yeah. two dozen. And usually that's our post-game meal after the game, too. So, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm partaking, bro. I love it, dude. I'm so jealous, dude. I, to me, out of everything you do, I'm most jealous about what you eat on Saturdays. I think that, to me, is what, what gets me uh, gets me uh, wishing I had your life. Those Saturday meals, bro. You and you know because you go to New Orleans every year. You know where to go when it comes to New Orleans, Carolina, and uh, Atlanta. There, there is there is two spots in New Orleans I go to. One is Dragos, which is right by uh, the Harris Casino, and then the other is Royal House, which is just right off Bourbon. Both uh, tremendous and uh, man, they're yeah, they're they're delicious. I mean, absolutely delicious. Uh, that that is the thing I look forward to about New Orleans the most is getting those charbroiled oysters and uh, knowing that we're inside, so I'm not gonna sweat sweat my tail off. Yeah, we gotta stop recording these uh, these these podcasts before I eat dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, in Dallas, we went to uh, what's it it's called Heroes. It was right outside of the American Airlines Arena. Um, Bill Burr was playing. We actually we started looking up how much are tickets. Eh, I feel like dropping that kind of money. Yeah, we don't want to come work this game and and, and having lost lost the money <laughs> we earned working the game. You go get in front row to Bill Burr. Although honestly, that would have been totally worth it. Like that to me, like he like is like one of the top comedians, right? It's Bill Burr, it's Chris Rock, and Brendan Shop. Those are my top three. Jason, I'm just, I'm just kidding about that. He's Brand shop sucks. He, I'll tell you what, every time he comes to Tampa, it seems like it's a sold out show. He, he's, well, he's got popular. an audience, man. He's got an audience. Yeah, he does have an audience, but you know, you know, so does, uh, you know, he has an audience, no doubt about it. But I, I mean, I've, n- I've never been drawn to his content. I actually, I had someone email me. They created a video on YouTube about how the schmo has to go. Apparently a lot of people hate the schmo. I think it's, it's I think it's because of the thumbnails. I think I think people don't actually watch his videos, but uh, eh, I don't watch the smell. But that's mainly because there's so much content out there. I don't watch it. But hey, man, he he's got his shtick. I mean, that that's the hardest thing in this MMA media podcast YouTube landscape. It's just trying to get people to. Uh, taking your content. I mean, it's like, how are you different? You know, I think the way I try to be different is I try to have dope conversation with fighters. And uh, I think me and you here are just brutally honest. 
Yeah, that's true. I feel like that is what we bring to the table is just we don't care in terms of what we say, in terms of like, I really we don't. don't. Hold I really back. don't. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, we don't hold anything back. And we kind of come at this podcast from a perspective as, as a fan, like, like just like an educated fan in terms of like we just see I really give my perspective as a consumer of the MMA product and we take into account the things we do in our other lives and, you know, with you, it's it's all you do. And with me, I mean, it's, the, you know, all I do. And we, we both work in similar fields and it comes to broadcast. We're both well-versed in that aspect of it. And we have our own specific specialties. So, uh, you know, I think you, I think you get a curveball when you listen to this MMA podcast. You do. I did. MMA did come in my life watching a little college game day on Saturday morning. I was sitting here in the office watching game day before I headed off to the airport to go to Dallas. And there was a dude in the uh, the crowd of College Game Day that did a shoey. Oh, did yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I didn't see it. I was I was working. I had to actually listen to College Game Day in my earphones uh, because I wanted to listen to it because it was in it was in Austin. But uh, yeah, that's a. That's a, that's a big thing. I mean, I remember seeing uh, – and, and it's not from – it's not like Type 2 have also came up with it. Like that's a part of that culture. I don't know who did, but I know uh, one of my favorite F Formula 1 drivers, he did a shoey when he won his but race I, last I year. I feel like in terms of United States pop culture, yes. I feel like I had never heard of a shoey before Type 2 have also started doing it. That's true. Let me just Google. Where does the shoey come from? It's got to be Australia. The, the origins of the shoey lie in 1800s Germany, and more recently, it has been a tradition for a handful of Australians. And, and the guy who is the thumbnail of the shoey is is the Formula One driver that I like, Daniel Ricardo. He uh, he he's a really famous Australian. So I think for a lot of people, that was him. And in America, I think Tai Tuivasa has certainly done it. But uh, yeah, to me, Daniel Ricardo. So basically, it's Daniel Ricardo and Tai Tuivasa are the two people I see when I Google Shuey. Yeah, I mean, so. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe we see Tai Tuivasa and Chris Barnett do Shuey's together at some point. Oh, that's a great fight. That's a great fight. Uh, honestly, it's not even a great fight. That's a great TikTok. Um, yeah. Just those two together. Yeah, but, uh, hey, you know, look, Jason, all I got to say about this weekend, uh, May, when I saw this fight card, it's got a great main event. It's got a good co-main event. But I knew for a fact this was in the apex as soon as I saw the fight card. Yeah, I was watching the Contender Series last night, and they were highlighting the fact that this card has 12 veterans of the Contender Series. was going to be 13 when Sadiq Youssef was on this card. However, uh, Gij Kaze recently pulled out of that matchup, uh, and now Sadiq Youssef is going to fight on October 1st. And Dude, you know, go ahead. Can, d- that sucks, bro. You win on the contender series, and your first fight is in the freaking apex. That's like making it to the NFL, but you play in front of no fans. That sucks, Jason. I, I just Come I don't think, I don't think these apex cards are going to go away. I think it's just it's so it's such cost effective for the UFC to do this. Now, the one thing I did see uh, earlier today was I don't know where Ario Man was talking about this, but he was talking about the fact of how site fee deals are becoming the big thing in the UFC. Talk about 30, 40% of their deals are now site fee deals. But I mean, like, yeah, it's an apex card, but I think your top three fights are really 
interesting, intriguing fights. He, obviously, the main event of Corey Sanhagen and Song Yudong, big matchup there at 135 pounds. How does Song Yudong kind of deal with the length that Corey Sanhagen does? First five-round fight for Song Yudong in the UFC. You know, if this, this fight gets to the fourth or fifth round, what's that cardio look like? Inji Kawani and Rodriguez. That's just got fun banger written all over between those two guys. The Philly uh, and Algeo fight, I think that's just a fun fight. At 145 pounds, uh, you know, but then you look at the rest of this card, Joe Pfeiffer, who really became a name on episode one of the contender series last year. He was the only fighter to get a contract on episode one, taking on Alan Omadovsky, Tanner Bozer, UFC vet. He's on this card. Uh, Damon Jackson, guy that's been on the podcast many times before. He's on this card. Uh, Aspen Ladd, Sarah Mann, uh, obviously the weigh-ins. What does Aspen Ladd look like uh, on there? But, uh, you know, you got uh, Agapova and Ro- Roberson, two foreign training partners fighting up against each other. But, uh, like, to me, it is, you know, the reason to watch this fight card on Saturday. It is that main event because it is a huge matchup in the 135-pound division. Oh, dude, it's it's a big matchup, and props to Sandhagen for taking this fight. You know, Sandhagen's just fought two really good guys coming off two losses, and he's not taking a break. He's taking on a killer looking to make a name off of his name. Sung Dong's really good, and he proved it in his fight against Marlon Moraes, and Sung Dong is probably six years away from his prime. That's scary to think about for that 24-year-old, and He's going to be a name and a force to be reckoned with. This is a very tough fight for Sanhagen, but I believe the veteran will win this fight. I, I, I think he brought up the length, and that's a big factor in this stand-up affair. What I would be concerned about for Sanhagen is the power of Yudong. He's a really hard hitter within distance. I think it's going to be a great fight. I think it might have a highlight reel finish, and the main event is absolutely badass. I, I love it, man. I'm, I'm picking Sanhagen. Who do you got in this main event? I like Sanhagen as well. I actually think this fight's probably going to go the distance. One of the things that I found really interesting is the fact of, you know, when you think about Corey Sanhagen, you think about that length, but you think about people maybe being able to take him to the ground, working his grappling. He's been working with Ryan Hall leading up to this one. That's pretty good, man. It's, there are a few. He's a hell of a jiu-jitsu guy, uh, you know, so I think that definitely helped. It is a matter, though, of, like, you, you don't get that improvement from what fight camp to the next, but it's a, it's, it's a, it's a good guy to, to be in the, in the mats with. And of course, this is an early fight card on Saturday, relatively early. I will, st- say, I will say this, bro. One, one fight I wanted to mention, this is my sleeper fight of the night. Um, not for, not for fight quality. The best fight that is in top three is Damon Jackson, Pat Sabatini. <laughs> that's really, really, really good fight that's worth mentioning. Obviously, Philo, Feely and Algeo and Rodriguez and Andrew Kwani are going to be really entertaining, good fights. Sabatini and Jackson, that might be the second most interesting fight from a fighter talent level. Like, those guys are really good featherweights. I like Sabatini to beat Jackson, and I think the world of Jackson, I think he's a really good fighter. He's been around a while. But Pat Sabatini is just a really good you know, fighter within the clinch. I just wanted to point that fight out because amongst all these fights, those two guys stick out to me as really talented featherweights that are worth keeping an eye on. So sorry for interrupting, but I just no. wanted to point out that fight is that fight is really good. That fight should be on the main card. 
uh, in my opinion. No, that's an excellent fight to, to point out there. Uh, you know, Damon Jackson recently getting a, a new contract with the UFC. I'm not sure see if that fight hits the ground. Who has the advantage? My guess would be Pat Sabatini has the advantage in that one. But that's a, a really interesting fight. Of course, prelims start 4 p.m. Eastern time, main card 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, something I got to mention before we get out of here. Uh, we all were shocked by the news on Sunday of uh, the passing away of, uh, of uh, Elias Theodoro. At 34 years old, I was listening to Aaron Bronster talk about this, and this was like apparently Elias and his man. It was like his manager was the only ones to know that he was going through this. Like, man, just a, a shocker! Uh, stage four cancer at age of 34 years old. Yeah, it was a shocker. I remember seeing it before I was going to sleep, and I, I saw the tweet from Adam Martin who, who uh, confirmed it. It had already been out there for a while, but I hadn't seen it till this tweet, and it just took me aback. It was. Uh, you know, when you think of Elias, first and foremost, you think of how freaking young he is. I mean, yeah. I remember watching him on the Ultimate Fighter Nations, I want to say, and he ended up winning that show. And he was a guy who, you know, he, he was so good looking, they made him an octagon guy for Invicta, right? Like, <laughs> like that's how good this guy, this guy honestly was, uh, he had a lot of charisma about him. Everyone talks about how nice he was and how good he was behind the scenes and, and a great training partner. And, yeah, he came out of nowhere. Obviously, he kept it quiet from so many people. It's so sad. Uh, colon cancer is just uh, – it's important for all for people to get checked. I mean, it, it's – it's uh, cancer, is a, cancer sucks, man. You know, uh, uh, a, a famous writer that I know of who writes for The Ringer just passed away from cancer too named Jonathan Sharks, a really good basketball writer who wrote a really good piece about his life and mortality and his relationship with his newborn son, given the fact that he knows his time is, is limited on the ringer and that's worth a, a listen to. So I've definitely been thinking about cancer a lot this week. Um, and, and it's super sad. I mean, both guys are in their thirties. Um, looking back at Theodora, man, I was looking back at his mixed martial arts resume and it kind of took me aback at how successful he was in the UFC he had a really hell of a resume in the UFC. I mean, he really did have a run, and I don't know what led to him no longer fighting the UFC. I don't know if he just fought out his deal or what, but he is someone who, you know, he did the damn thing. He he became a UFC fighter. He won the show. He had great success. He he uh, he 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 led a good life, and it's so tragic, but. When you look at all the people who really knew him, you could tell this was a special guy. And just rest in peace to Elias Theodoro. And I guess the last thing I'll bring up is, like, you know, he's not a name I had thought of. And sometimes we kind of take for granted all the people because it's just a rinse and repeat every week. We have another 14 fights, another 14 fights, and sometimes it just it gets lost in the shuffle. But it's important to take a step back and really think about these people. Uh, because they're all people and, uh, you know, much love to him and his family. And if people remember a big thing with him towards the end of his UFC run was the battle he had with USADA because he wanted a therapeutic use exemption for cannabis. And Aaron Bronster was telling the story of when he parted ways with the UFC that his goal wasn't necessarily to get back to the UFC or get to a Bellator or get to a PFL. His goal was to fight in jurisdictions that would give him a therapeutic use exemption for cannabis, which, you know, when I'm hearing Aaron Bronster talk about this, it also kind of made me think about 
had he already been diagnosed at that point? And that's why having that use exemption for cannabis was such a big deal. Possibly. I mean, I know it's, it's great for therapy, but God only knows. I mean, it seems like he really went off the grid, but yeah, that's very interesting to think of because to keep that to yourself, I mean, I, the, you know, um, Chadwick Boseman did a very similar thing and, and I, you know, you can only wonder why people do that. Maybe it's to not give that energy to someone else, but you know, I just, you know, it's clear this is a dude who was loved and, uh, yeah, it sucks, man. There's there's no other way to say it. It just sucks. If if I was in that situation, I don't know if I would tell a lot of people. I think I would just tell my inner circle. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I would, but I think it's just my personality, I think. I don't know. I don't know. I I and got, you know, knock on wood, you know, it takes away so many of us and you never know. And I think uh the most important thing to take from from all this is just you know, cherish every day and, and, and treat every day like, it, you know, treat every day with the highest importance. And the one token of wisdom I would give people every day, try and do something a little than you did the past day. We have our routines. And I feel like if you do something just a little different, you might remember the day a little more. And that's just but I would give someone whether it be take a different route to work, eat at a different restaurant, go on a date, but at a different place with your significant other, do something different. Don't get stuck in the same routine. I love my routine, but just do a little, little something different. You talk about experiences in life. It made me uh-huh. think about the experience I had at the gas station earlier today. Yeah. So okay. I'm, just, I'm just pumping gas, man. You know, just getting gas. I'm like almost on empty. And this woman comes by of sign that pe- petition to legalize marijuana. And I just started laughing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I wasn't expecting to hear that today. Did and you sign I, looked, it? I looked at the woman. I go, you realize it's not getting on the ballot in November, right? Yeah, it is. I go, no, the deadline passed a long time ago. It's not on the ballot. You just had to be a Debbie Downer. God dang it, Jason. Uh, Debbie Downer or just being honest? Uh, just being honest. Just be, you know. Yeah. Sometimes yeah, you just got to be honest with people, man. Even though, like, <sighs> dude, God, go to my mailbox earlier today. And I'm like, yep, it is political season. Look, I'm going to tell you why I hate this political text. This is why. On my phone, including my girlfriend, I have everybody on Do Not Disturb. Everybody, I get no notifications on my phone. I hate notifications. I get every week. I get this damn notification about how much time I spend on my phone, and I it pisses me off. Hey Daniel, but, yeah, I, I need to offer you some advice, bro. Uh huh. You need to have your girlfriend no, notification on. No, she knows who I. She knows how I am. That's just how I roll. Okay, I hate that my life is. This is this is going to backfire you at some point, man. I'm she, telling you, as a man who has I'm, been married. For almost 15 years, I'm telling you, at look, some point, she is going to look at you and go, Daniel, never. notifications need to be on. No, listen, if you need me, you can call me. All right? It's as simple as that. I, I just, I hate it. Like, dude, when I was with her on when I was with her on Disney, man, trying to go to sleep, and all I hear is a vibration. D, 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 D. I feel like this is truly hell. But moral of the story is, this is why I hate political people. They always get a new phone number to text you with. So I haven't put them on do not disturb. And I'm trying to take a nap and my phone vibrates and it wakes me up because they want me to take a poll. Or they want to be sure that I have my vote. I'm like, no. 
I'm not going to vote for you because you woke me up from my nap. I literally, I've started responding to them. I'm that, I'm that a-hole now. I, I start going, how'd you get this number? And it's either I respond with that or my second response is, why should you get my vote when you sent me an unsolicited text message? Yeah, I will vote for whoever. I, re- I remember last, uh, you know, the the presidential cycle. I I responded. They responded back. They go, oh, we got your number off your voter registration card. I go, my number's not on my voter registration card. Next. <laughs> they didn't respond after that. <laughs> yeah. Because I not- literally, okay, I might have taken a step forward here. I actually called the voter registration office. I said, hey, um, I need you to look up my voter registration. Is uh, is my number, my, my cell phone number on my voter registration? She goes, Mr. Foy, there is no phone number on your voter registration. I go, thank you for letting me know that. You 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 went the extra mile, man. You were going to win Dude, this. Dude, I, 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 there are, I hate that. And I hate all these people that send you the unsolicited mail. Hey, we want to buy your house. Ain't for sale, bro. It's not for sale. Okay. Oh, okay. I shouldn't say that. We all have a price. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. price is seven figures. You yeah. always pay seven figures for my house. Yeah. Yeah. If you get, if you're going to give me enough money to buy a new house, it's nicer than okay. But other than that, hell you, no. You give me a million dollars. You know, we, we can go to my bank right now. They can verify the funds <laughs> and we can make this thing happen. Yeah. But I, I live where I live. Yeah. I, if, if I'm uh, going into a new house, it's because we're uh, demolishing this house and building a brand new one. I love it. I, I love it. Yeah. Cause honestly, sometimes property is more valuable than having a structure on it. Yeah. I, I live in a circular street. So you have to have one way to get in one way to get out. And uh, I live next to two cops. Oh wow! I feel pretty comfortable. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's yeah. I love you know. You got to feel secure about that, especially if they park their units outside. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. They both do. That's that's great. That's that's a great benefit of being a police officer. You get that that extra security. Yeah, it's like I mean I've got the security cameras on the house, but I mean when you know when that uh, police cruiser just sitting in, you know in the driveway next to me, you feel pretty good about yourself. You really do. You really do. That's like a scarecrow, you know, that's like a scarecrow in a field scaring away crows. You know, that's got to scare away people from doing stupid stuff in your house. Even though there was one morning about, I don't know, about two years ago, he, I was out in the front door. He goes, hey, Jay, need to talk. It's like, hey, what's up? He goes, someone tried to break in your car last night. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was uh, basically kids going around, basically just trying to get change and stuff out of people's car. He's like, he goes, oh, I got on my camera. He goes, we actually know where they live. Oh, We're going to see them today. <laughs> That's why it's nice to live next to a cop. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if your area, the uh, porch pirates, is that a big uh, big problem in your area? It, it happens occasionally. It's a news story when it does, but it doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, I, yeah. I know on the, the Ring app, man, it, it's, it seems to happen here a lot. So Yeah, well, the Ring app does a good job of catching people, you know. Yeah. So, I think so, everyone in my neighborhood has a ring. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I don't, but, uh, mo- they're, you know, they're, most so, people. they're so inexpensive. I mean, that, that's the thing that, and, and, you know, what the other best thing part about it. So I have it in my backyard too. So when my dog goes outside, I know he needs to come back in because the ring goes off. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, he'll still, you know, scratch at the door like, hey, let me in, old man. Yeah, he's not aware of the <laughs> ring that's looked this taking video of him. I'm like, yes, uh, the, the, the security camera told me you're at the door. I'm <laughs> on my way. I'm a little old. I don't move as fast as I used to. <laughs> he's like, neither do I. <laughs> but you know what's crazy is? He comes inside. is like he's two years old again. Oh, yeah. But then he, it's like that 10 seconds of burst of energy. And he's like, all right, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My dad be like that too. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, never enjoy going to the vet because you never know what that bill's gonna be. I know, I know, Dan, or the doctor, hell, for that matter. You know, never enjoy doing anything really when it comes to uh, doctors. So they, or for animals or humans, they're gonna charge you up the butt. But uh, you know, it's 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 a necessity at times. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a great a great doctor story off air. I won't tell I won't tell the story <laughs> off the air, but I'll tell you a great story off the air. Wait, but, well, I can't uh, wait to hear about your prostate exam. <laughs> it is not about that. It is not about that. But uh, appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. Of course, uh, be sure uh, to subscribe, rate, review, follow. Hit us up on, on social media, all that. Do appreciate everyone tuning in. And uh, I have an episode on Sunday. And of course, that episode will feature the conversation that I'm recording tomorrow with Julian Orosa. <laughs>